starting over and some seasons are over before they start. Hello and welcome to Double AI, the podcast about sports analytics. I'm Phil in Los Angeles. The Double AI stands for Ari and Andrew, and Andrew joins us from San Diego. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Phil. Hello, Ari. And hey, Ari, he's in Chicago. We're here to talk about uh, beginning and ends and middles that are both beginning and ends. That's really what's going on in sports. It sounds confusing. Think of this, the World Series over. The NBA just finished before Major League Baseball, but wants to start again. National Football League season, for some halfway through, but really over. They're already tanking and thinking draft. College football, halfway, but there's start and finish all at the same time. And the National Hockey League's already talking about a 16-team playoff or I'm sorry, the National Football League, and that's where we're going to start. So National Football League guys took a look at what Major League Baseball did with its everybody in postseason tournament, and uh, they're looking at how do we make up for lost revenue. So a 16-team National Football League playoff. Ari, in your mind, what does that look like exactly? Yeah, well, the, the success in baseball, like the playoffs were phenomenal. The success in the NBA for their, you know, the, the viewership was down, but in how it was uh, procedurally, what was a good success. Um, so I think they're looking to have that emulation. Um, and in some ways, you know, in the COVID uh, pandemic world, no fans, it may make a lot more sense. Like uh, March Madness, a lot of people don't follow the regular season but they only follow the tournament. So there's something to be said to try it, do it, consider it. Andrew, if you look at a National Football League tournament, what was the one mistake? And I'll give you a hint. There was one mistake that Major League Baseball made, and that's that the two best teams in each league were really way better than the other first-round losing teams. Do you think the NFL could get that right, Andrew? I'd be worried. I have some issues with the way they're doing it now. I mean, when you look at the playoffs over the last few years, we've seen below 500 teams make it under the pre-existing um, scheme. Uh, I'd just be worried. I mean, we're, we're looking at a bad situation with the NFC East anyways. I apologize to any fans of those teams, but that's a really poor, poor division. Um, but you're just asking for some really mediocre teams to get into the NFL playoffs. Um, on the other hand, the advantage the NFL has is that it's one game, right? And anything can happen in one game. And we've seen that over and over again, that a team gets hot at the right time and can go all the way to the Super Bowl. So maybe it won't be as bad, but you will probably see a lot of blowouts too. Yeah, I enjoy your guys' observations. Uh, and, and so now let's take a look at the NBA. The uh, owners and union doing that negotiation dance here. They just finished not quite a month ago, right? Uh, the owners want to start the season before Christmas because Christmas and that new that holiday time is such a big TV branding, marketing extravaganza for them. They want to play 72 games. Likely no fans to start, then filter in from there. But Christmas start equates to training camps start December 1, 
And that's where the players are voicing some disapproval. Apparently the union wants to start mid-January because the Stars are gassed really from the bubble tournament that finished uh, mid-October in Orlando. But then the, if we do that, the playoffs would clash with the Tokyo Olympics. So that's mm -hmm. a problem. The difference in revenue, and Ari, the difference in revenue is probably going to be the prevailing issue here. So it could be a half million, or it could be how much for starting in Christmas? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, um, I don't know what the number would be, but when, when you're, yeah, go ahead. One with a B. Billion. It's either, yeah, the difference between a half million and a billion reportedly, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's what I'm, yeah, that's a huge swing uh, difference. And one with the B is what you like to see. And you were also, you know, mentioning the Olympics too. My mind started wandering. I was talking or emailing with uh, Peter Kurtz, who, uh, uh, GM of the Israeli uh, Olympic team, who made it last time and they just started today training again. So the Olympics seems like some far off abstract idea, but they're, they're, starting up the, uh, the fire, so to speak. Well, Andrew, it's forcing the NBA to be creative, and they're going right to what we have known and outlined over the past couple of months is uh, the new go-to revenue stream. Uh, National Basketball Association looking at new forms of sports betting and relationships with casinos, uh, along with a made-for-TV play-in tournament with the last couple seeds in the East and West. Um, what are your thoughts about that? I, I mean, it, it just feels really weird to me having grown up where all of the leagues um, ran from sports betting, right? I'm, I, I remember when Pete Rose was suspended for betting. And so this seems like such a massive turnaround. Um, but at the same time, I understand why it's happening. Um, I think it's Pretty clear sports betting has been a huge part of the NFL's success over the last couple decades. Not, not so much on the sports betting itself, but the fantasy sports and the daily fantasy. And it makes sense for the other leagues to look at that and say, why can't we tie into that? And with legalized sports betting, it makes sense to make these decisions. Um, but it does feel really weird to me because of how I grew up. Well, this is a, a rush to the altar or a, a prom night backseat date kind of rush <laughs> where, where they're, they're thinking, let's flood our uh, broadcasts and all product with sports betting and fantasy, all of those things that they know uh, people uh, are flocking to today. And then, guys, there, there are complications to both these things of an NFL tournament and NBA getting back to work so quickly because with the NBA, the Toronto Raptors may relocate to Newark and use the uh, arena that the NHL uh, Devils utilize, the Prudential Center. Um, NBA also considering a cluster, East, uh, Midwest, and West Coast, the way that Major League Baseball did, where teams would play back-to-back -back or three in a row or anything they can do to limit travel because the U.S. border uh, with Canada remains closed because of the, the virus. Ari, can, can you get a sense from your experience where these talks are headed between the owners and the union? 
Yeah, well, uh, you know, a lot to digest there. Um, you know, I like the idea. You know, we had the challenge of the shutdown between the U.S. and Canada. You know, so that's where you saw the Blue Jays coming in. So the Toronto at, to Buffalo. So Toronto moving to, uh, you know, the, the New York, uh, New Jersey area could make sense. Um, but, you, you, you know, right now in the NBA and then coming soon in Major League Baseball and then other sports, you know, ownership, player, um, uh, unions are kind of at a headlock. So it either is going to be really bad where they just throw in the towel and say we're, we can't come to an agreement, um, you know, or, or it can be very good where you work together and say we have a common enemy, let's get through this and do a three-year deal and then renegotiate after it. So it could be really good or it could be really bad. And it seems like all this folds together. Uh, Andrew, if we look at the National Hockey League, reportedly their target date to return is January 1st. They want it later. The NBA wants it earlier. NBA needs that TV revenue from the Christmas Day extravaganza of five games or seven games, whatever they're going to play. Or, and for the weekend, the opposite is true for NHL. They know their bread is buttered through in-stadium revenue, and that's what they have to have, and that's why they want to start it late. Um, but again, the border's a problem for them. Interestingly, I didn't know this, guys. I just read this. More than 100 National Hockey League players on contract have been loaned out to European clubs. So they're playing hockey and in shape and trying to figure out what makes sense right now. So very fascinating. But we're, we're not done. Let's go back to basketball. Andrew, college basketball tips off now November 25th along with Turkey uh, and all the stuffing and dressing and fixings, uh, the NCAA's made some, uh, they've made some adjustments. They reduced the maximum number of games from about 30 to just uh, 27 or 25, depending on what it's like. Um, March Madness, which is an absolute must-have this year, and Andrew, we know why, because of how much they missed it last year. March Madness, possibly in a controlled environment like the NBA, NHL, uh, the Big 12, Pac-12, and SEC basketball have announced conference schedules. ACC and Big 10 have not, and they're the two big basketball revenue uh, producers. So that's a, a curious set of circumstances as you look uh, just, what, three weeks out for college basketball to get underway and to the money maker of March Madness. Oh, absolutely. I think some of the uncertainty is just what we're seeing in the college football landscape. I mean, the administrators have to be watching the outbreaks that are happy, happening and getting worried and wondering how they can do it. I mean, they're still talking about, you know, bubbles for some of these teams during the season as well. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And it's going to be really interesting to see what what college sports looks like when we come out of this on the other side, because there's a lot of decisions that are being made. They're going to have long-term ramifications. Yeah. No, guys, we knew when we started this podcast, uh, we would be tiptoeing into a great deal of uncertainty. And I think maybe this week reflects the maximum amount of, we really don't know what's about to happen and we really don't know what's about to happen in just about every league, just about all aspects of pro sports right now. Mm -hmm. In a way, that's kind of fun, that uncertainty, but that really is defining where we are. 
What we do know right now is that Pittsburgh Steelers are the best team in the National Football League. And Mike Tomlin might be the best coach in the league as well. We've got to give those guys credit. Uh, one loss, Kansas City, the defending Super Bowl champs, really good. Seattle, really good. Um, Seattle plays at Buffalo this weekend. Bills are 6-2. and two. That could be a good game because the Seattle travels across the time zones. And then uh, the Saints at Tampa, both with two losses. Those are probably the best two games this coming weekend. So, Andrew, what's your one thing about the National Football League? Yeah, so, so continuing the trend on betting, we've been talking about how insane the betting was. We talk about how we we spoke a little bit about how much the uh, bookmakers hated last weekend, the weekend before last, excuse yeah. me, um, as they lost quite a bit of money. Uh, they made it up. Um, underdogs were eight and four against the spread, with six of those underdogs just straight out winning on Sunday, um, giving many of those bookmakers their best Sunday. And because we have a tradition of talking about the NFC North with a former Minnesotan and a current Illini, um, we need to continue this. Uh, the Vikings-Packers game was perhaps the best for the bookmakers. So 91% um, of the money bet on the Vikings and Packers game was bet on the Packers to cover the six-point spread for William Hill. Uh, the Vikings, of course, won 28-22, uh, returning a great deal of money to William Hill. And Ari, one thing about the National Football League. Yeah, I, uh, being in Chicago, always like to uh, pull up Chicago things, but wanted to show that this was probably the most flagrant, uh, <laughs> unprovoked foul uh, that I've seen. He, like, taps him on the shoulder, punches him in the second sucker punch. Something uh, I actually don't like seeing, um, but yeah, just in shock of uh, how the sport is all played out. But so, wanted to show off the uh, high-tech uh, screen sharing as well. So the most blatant, blatant foul in the history <laughs> of the National Football League. <laughs> Love no it. it. Very nice. And my one thing, Tom Brady, six and two, uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, New England without Tom Brady, two and five, and staring down uh, the draft, uh, fascinated by that. And I, I know some NFL insiders, coaches, and players that are rethinking that as well. Uh, college football, Clemson at Notre Dame, big game this weekend. Um, Tigers, somewhere between a five to six and a half point favorite. Uh, on the road, despite not having quarterback Trevor Lawrence because of the virus, the over-under, 51 and a half. Um, this will be interesting to see because Notre Dame typically is a better uh, – it's like that, uh, that light that the bugs fly to, right? Notre Dame betters have to bet on Notre Dame. Uh, you know, uh, undisciplined betters have to bet on Notre Dame. They just flock to it. Uh, without logic or reason at times and bet their heart. So let's, uh, let's pick up on this a week from now and see exactly because even without Clemson's quarterback last weekend, the second half they played brilliantly once they made some uh, adjustments. Of course, they were on the home, and now you have a true freshman filling in for Lawrence who's going to be playing on the road for a second start, Clemson at Notre Dame, 
51 and a half over under. That'd be interesting to see if they, if they cover. Now, guys, we're all Midwestern guys by nature, nurture. Pac-12 and Mac, the Mac, starts uh, mid-big games this week and the Pac-12 later this weekend. But in the Big Ten, uh, there, there really are problems. Wisconsin-Purdue canceled. Wisconsin reports 27 infection cages, cases. Badgers now down to six games. And uh, it's really an illustration of – so think of this. We're in a week in which there are factors from all, nearly all sides of the playoff, winning and losing, finance, economy, and the virus all converging at one time. Andrew, you go first. Give me one thought about college baseball and the mess, and the, it's trying its best, but the mess it's in right now. Baseball or football? Sorry. Co college football. College football. Okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think this is unexpected. We expected this to have problems. And in fact, we saw this stuff happening in the Southern schools as they got started earlier. They went through this problem, but I, I just don't know how, how long they can keep doing this. There was a report out of Minnesota that when they got on the bus to travel to the Maryland game over the weekend, he was told a couple players weren't traveling because they tested positive and that was the first he'd heard about it. I, I just don't know how anyone is preparing for these games. It sounds like the Illini have a bunch of players testing positive too. Um, it, I'm, I'm just afraid it, it's going the same way as a lot of the country, I'm afraid. It's just getting worse. Well, Ari, you're in Chicago. Uh, what's your thought about the state of college football right now? Yeah, I was just walking around Northwestern campus and they're, they're beautiful, you know, Ryan Field and totally empty. Um, walking around University of Chicago, not known for athletics, but a huge school nonetheless, totally empty campuses. I live practically on DePaul, totally empty, um, you know, it was big business, uh, you know, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just remarkable not seeing that happen. Um, yeah, yeah, so, so it remains to be seen how that will be handled, but, you know, clocks are ticking and you did uh, accidentally say college baseball as well. And that's been top of my mind since I talked to, we talked to a lot of programs, uh, haven't gone to Caltech, still in touch with them. You know, they're still, you know, in the mindset of recruiting their next year, assuming that there will be a season. But, you know, for, for the short term, the next few months, uh, you know, not looking good. College baseball, now that we're talking about it, very complicated. Um, let's talk about pro baseball, Major League Baseball. Perhaps the most unusual regular season, fo uh, followed by perhaps the most unusual off season. And I uh, want to get you guys thumbs up or thumbs down. Will this be a, uh, a total uh, payroll dump by teams this off season? Yes or no? Ari, right, you go first. Is that what you anticipate? Is that the economic environment you anticipate between now and whenever spring training begins for big clubs? I, I do. And just looking at uh, who's extending, you know, the, the, the qualifying offers and, you know, letting people go to free agency. Colton Wong uh, with the Cardinals was one of the first bellwethers. He was, um, 
you know, the, the team picked up his option. So like paid him a million dollars to let him go and others are following suit. And, you know, there's uncertainty. Do you pay, play a full season next year or not? You know, we've seen a bunch of layoffs even in the last week after the World Series ended of uh, staff, front office, scouts, field staff. And then you have a smattering of teams like the Mets just got a new owner. One of the first things he did was retroactively pay furloughed staff and reduced staff almost $8 million out of his pocket, which is you know, the right thing to do. But uh, you know, aside from being the right thing to do, it's great PR. And then uh, you know, if you want to recruit the best and the brightest, you're a new owner of a team, you're an existing owner. Do you want to be seen as disloyal or do you want to be seen as a destination? So I tell you, if, if you have a, a normal job, you know, Facebook, Google, Apple, you know, the private sector, um, and you're going well in a pandemic, do you really want to join baseball if you are worried you're going to get fired in four months after anyway? So seeing that loyalty is, is the right thing to do. But uh, so a few teams, you know, maybe the Dodgers, the Yankees, Mets, you know, a handful of others will pay the money. But I, I think most teams are going to, uh, you know, uh, severe, you know, loss, lowering of budgets. Good thought. Andrew? What's your perspective on the Major League Baseball economic environment? I'm sort of in that that position. And I think Ari kind of hit on it. You're going to see a lot of teams absolutely shedding payroll, right? The the Brad Hand decision, um, turning down the 10 million, a reasonable in this day and age, $10 million contract for a very good reliever. And then the fact that no one was willing to pick him up at $10 million Mm -hmm. on the waiver wire tells me a lot about um, the sense, but then the Yankees have um, take have paid some players. The, the Marlins executed an option. I mean, I find that just hard to say in a normal time. Um, so the Marlins are actually spending some money. Um, I, I suspect what you're going to see is there's going to be a class of owners. Cohen probably, Reisdorf seems to be in an absolute win now um, mode at, in the White Sox. They're going to see this as an opportunity to spend money, build a team, and take their shot. Um, now, I'm sure they're all hoping that the market collapses and they can do it for less than they would have in a prior year. But you'll probably end up with some bidding wars for some of the top, top free agents. Then there's a lot of those teams that are going to spend nothing, and we're already seeing them just shed salary. Yeah. It's going to be a very split market. It can make for a painful baseball season if you only have a couple of teams really going for it. So to sum up, Andrew, if you're a, uh, a free agent in demand, if you're one of the top two or three arms or the top two or three position players, you're going to get value this offseason. But Ari, the bad thing to be is a player that is in the middle, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, like the, the elite players are still going to uh, you know, have some bidding wars with a few of the teams. Um, but yeah, being in the middle is is a you know you're back up against the wall in some ways. All right, we'll come back to Ari in a minute. That's on your eight. That's a whole nother topic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll come back to Ari for a minute for a distinctively Chicago celebration yeah. of a, an event. And then uh, for me, got the Masters in two weeks, and it's like the brain does not compute. Prepare for Thanksgiving. 
the week after the Masters. I've, I, I just, I can't, I'm not, I'm, I'm adjusting, but I'm, I'm not, that doesn't make, you know, it's not this weekend. The Masters is not this weekend. It's in two weeks. And on the last round, they're going to start about three hours earlier than they do. Some will go off uh, at about 7 a.m. in Augusta, East Coast time, so that they can finish at least an hour before the second round of the NFL games start. I, I'm, I, I, I think that's interesting. It fascinates me. It's so awkward compared to what would be normal. Now, along those lines, Andrew, I'm going to talk to you about horse racing because I forgot there's still one more big event coming up, and it's this weekend, and we have uh, the favorites. Go ahead and share with us about the Breeders' Cup. Yeah, the Breeders' Cup coming out. Improbable is the favorite at 5, five to 2. Um, going forward, the Belmont Stake winner, Tis the Law, is 3 to 1, and the Kentucky Derby champion, Authentic, um, who did hold off Tis the Law in Kentucky, will go off at 6 to 1. So should be exciting. Um, again, it feels weird. I shouldn't be talking about horse racing uh, in the month of November. Well, in Southern California, we talk about horse racing in the month of November, but I don't think of these sorts of events as being fall events. Uh, the Breeders' Cup is sort of an early fall event. We got that, but it's at Keeneland, not at uh, where it's more of a controlled environment. And Keeneland is Lexington, Kentucky, and they're having, you know, thank goodness, a mild fall. So it should be gorgeous there uh, for that. All right, Ari, this past weekend, the Cubs, John Lester, lit up social media and the city of Chicago. Why don't you go ahead and explain? Yeah, um, Miller Light, uh, although St. Louis. Uh, so, so John Lester had a great career in Chicago um, coming in, helping win the World Series, uh, breaking the quote-unquote curse, and um, you know, no longer with the team. So he celebrated to the fans by saying, "Hey, open house, drink safely." Um, you know, at these couple of locations, uh, beers are on me. Um, and if you're familiar with Chicago, uh, right above, right below where I used to live, on Division Street, Butch McGuire shenanigans, the Lodge Tavern, which having worked in the Cubs front office was like the go-to place to Andy McPhail, myself, others would <laughs> frequent um, Hopsmith Tavern um, that, that you just filled it out. It's also kind of cool. So $47,000, 31,000 in beer and about 50%, 50, percent in gratuity. Um, but that, that was a fun, uh, you know, way to, to send things off and thank the fans. Again, nearly fifty thousand dollars total, forty-seven and some change. Uh, Sixteen thousand in tips. Uh, that's that's sort of like lunch for the three of us uh, when we're when yeah. we're out. Uh, I think it comes out to um, like three pitches total, like fifty thousand dollars based on his contract. I and that's why we are the analytics podcast. I <laughs> knew that you would have that. <laughs> So, Over 10, <laughs> oh, guys, I, I enjoy this. Is where we make sense of these things because until we get here, I have trouble making sense of these things. Andrew, thanks a bunch. Shari, we sure appreciate your time, guys.
Well, that'll wrap up this week of Double AI, the podcast about analytics and sports and the business of sports. We thank you for hanging out with us. We sure appreciate you taking the time. And we'll see you next week here at Double AI. Goodbye now. Bye-bye.